Hello again, everyone. Dr. Jim Hoven here, and it is time for another episode of the podcast. And I know a lot of times we've done episodes with some really fun people, cool people, and the, the whole goal is to try to talk to someone who's made a difference in the lives of others and is having a positive impact on the people around them. And today, not only do I have someone that fits the bill in every way on that, but he's also an absolute influencer in the game of marketing and advertising. And, and so we're going to get into his story. And by the way, fantastic storyteller. Uh, he has had me laughing on the floor so many times, whether it be socially, uh, since we're buddies, or if it's, uh, if it's in business and that kind of thing. So it's with great honor and privilege that I welcome to the show, Mr. Rob Quinte. Rob, welcome and thanks for taking time. Yeah, thank you, Jim. That's quite an introduction. I got, the, I got some big shoes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt that you're going to fill them, my friend. And, and for all of the audience listening, most of whom won't know you, I would imagine, would you start out by just giving us a little bit of, of introduction about you, especially when it comes to uh, your work with, with advertising and helping brands get noticed? Not that this is going to be a podcast for those listening. This isn't a, a podcast about just branding, but literally ways that you can um, not only make yourself noticed in any area of your life, but also how you can enjoy your life. Because Rob, of all the people I know, you are someone who's found a really great work-life balance. And, and I think everyone listening, it's going to be worth it for them to stay along with that. So uh, for the first part, can you just talk a little bit about uh, what you do? You bet. Uh, Jim, I um, own an ad agency called Spectrum Marketing. And um, we've got a diverse group of clients, everybody from Ramos Law, to um, other people in the medical profession. The, the other side is really sports heavy with bike manufacturers and sunglass manufacturers and ski areas. And then the new evolving side, uh, which who would have thought is uh, more into the protective um, in um, facility um, protection um, uh, against the new virus. And because I was doing a lot of business with a lot of larger venues, um, they now have to make a large capital investment in making sure that their players and employees and customers are all safe. So I'm helping them with that, which if you asked me six months ago, if that's what I was going to be doing this year, I probably wouldn't have uh, even understood the question. But uh, boy, has everything changed. Oh, it is so, upside um, history, down. Though, yeah, upside down. And I'll tell you, to me, what one thing that I think is so important is the way that you've been able to be agile and diversify how you serve, because it's really all about service. I, and like you said, with the Ramos Law Group, which I'm a part of as well, um, you know, as directing as a director of operations here, when we're looking to buy media, we look to you to not only help us decide what uh, stations and platforms are best, but also help us do some of the creative on some of the commercials and that kind of thing. So you've been ingrained in that, and, and then you, you move into this COVID time. Let's spend a moment on that. How was it for you to go from really being integrated into the bikes, and you, you, know, you got a, a long history of bike racing that we'll get into, and, and knowing all this about what we'll call basic terrestrial advertising or standard advertising, and then move into this area of protection. So for the people that are listening, basically what Rob's doing right now is if, a, let's say a stadium, needs to protect, as he said, his employees and the fans. Rob, you're getting it set up to where, whether it's at the concession stand, in the parking lot, or where the players come in, all that has to be held to a new, a new standard, right? 
Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, well, prior to this, I ran radio and television groups for close to 30 years. And, um, you know, I came up through sales and you always preached being resourceful and being tough. And, you know, if you get knocked down, you got to definitely spring back up and maybe even try a little harder the next day. So, um, you know, as this pandemic you know, just changed our world in a couple of weeks or months, um, all of my business that I had laid in, and I hope, you know, that it'll pick up next year and continue. Well, you know, it was all put on hold. And um, at that same time, uh, I had a, a great colleague and friend that I had actually hired out of college 30 years ago for his first professional job in broadcast management and sales. And um, he had taken over a family business at a very important time for them. Uh, Proctor is one of the biggest convention um, and experiential companies in the uh, United States. And all of a sudden, every convention from Comic-Con to Consumer Electronics Show was canceled. So they had to make a big change as well. And he had a big responsibility to make sure that they weren't going to go out of business. So we uh, we. We've always been friends and, you know, we've always talked a lot of business strategy, but at this time, our, our roads definitely met at the same intersection and we were able to help each other um, when everything changed in, our, in each of our lives. Uh, and we just had to kind of assess the situation, gather our resources and turn everything around quickly. So uh, at this point, we're at work at the Pepsi Center. Um, we are going to be starting Levi Stadium in San Francisco. And it looks like um, we've got a few other a sizable job started. So, you know, for better or for worse, looks like everybody really needs to protect themselves and make sure that the folks that are coming into their facilities are not sick. And, you know, this really can't be accomplished uh, with a handheld monitor uh, day in and day out with hundreds of people. Uh, so, yeah, how interesting, huh? Crazy. Uh, but kind of, you know, back to the, yeah, back to the, the fun stuff, though, uh, and the, the positive media stuff. Um, you know, I've always kind of had a little bit of a different angle and a different look at things, although my career has been based most in music and, and, and radio. I, I was actually a film and um, television production major, so I had a lot of behind-the-camera experience and a lot of um, good instruction on how to look at things a little differently, uh, maybe like well, as a cameraman or a visually oriented person would. I just got swept off my feet with uh, how awesome radio was in the 70s and 80s and how much of a difference you could make if you were good at business and you did know your music. Um, it really added up. But now it's kind of cool where I'm, I'm able to come back to what I was really trained for. And, you know, we can take a category like personal injury, which a lot of times um, the creative isn't that uh, appealing and isn't that, um, you know, uh, nice with the audience. And in my opinion, We've woven a nice story of what we do at Ramos Law and all the assets that Dr. Ramos brings to the table. And I think we've done it in a creative and uh, fetching fashion. And, you know, my thing is if you try a little extra harder and make a good impression for your potential customers, and if you put a product in front of them that you yourself would find compelling or appealing or, um, you know, well done, that market's probably going to have the same feelings and um, they're going to respond in a positive fashion. So, uh, you know, it could take a product, personal injury or insurance or automotive or lending and, um, you know, take a somewhat non-glamorous uh, subject matter and, and frame it in a really positive, cool way 
uh, with a lot of neat visuals and using people's emotions and even a handshake is a strong statement. Um, it's really thrilling to see the end result, which is a nice flowing message, which is flattering for the client and um, hopefully a good call to action for the uh, potential customer. I love that. And, and Rob, I, I want to bring something to light here. I think it's really important before we dive further into your rich history in the in the radio and TV market. You mentioned that when you were, when COVID hit, you had books, uh, your business book, you had all this stuff going on and everything had to change. And then it was because of the relationship that you had with this gentleman uh, at Proctor that led you into this, this new facet of, of your business. Can you speak to a moment on the importance, and I know this is primary to you because I've, I've known you now for, for many years, the importance of deep connections with relationships and, and how it's, it's far more about the business transaction in a relationship as it is the, the personal connection and how you've noticed that uh, literally take root and, and flourish in your life, both in business and outside of business. Uh, yeah, a great question. You know, and I'll tell you, it, it seems to be changing a little bit these days. Um, you know, as our, our business and personal relationship changes with automation and distance and, um, you know, everything that that brings. But as we go through life, I just think you, you, you meet people that you really like or people that have the same value um, or folks that you just find funny and interesting or people that have a high degree of integrity or, you know, there's just a lot of really awesome people out there. And, you know, I think those are the folks that you tend to stay in contact with or, you know, in lack of a better term, uh, collect and keep, you know, in your database or keep current. And, um, you know, I just think if, if you yourself are a sociable, honest, uh, interesting person and you understand that networking and helping others on your end and, um, you know, it goes both ways, two people can create more positive energy and activity uh, than 10 people can if they're working together and, you know, utilizing each other's best assets. So with this guy, uh, it was so funny. I heard him right out of college. I just saw so much potential in him. Uh, I took him under my wing for 10 years and, you know, he produced and just, you know, built a wonderful life for himself. And then the family, I think, thought he was ready to come back into a very well-established business. And, you know, he had um, received a lot of great training and had gotten, um, you know, a lot of different dimensions added to his personality and his business spectrum. And uh, he went then to take that business over. And since then, um, you know, we've bounced ideas off each other or just maintained, um, you know, a, a, a social relationship. And then, boy, you never know when somebody you know and trust, um, you know, can utilize your services or has the same trust and confidence in you that uh, the you have in them, um, you know, those are the folks you're generally going to be the most successful with. And if you've done business with somebody and um, you really think they've got, you know, high principles and they're good people, uh, you know, those are just the kind of folks you want to surround yourself with. Amen to that. And do you have a system, Rob, that you tend to follow in order to keep the, the connections alive that people might be able to borrow from? Or uh, if, if not a system, is there a, a thing that you've noticed that people tend to gravitate towards that are connectors like you and I have been to sporting events. We've been to concerts, you know, we've, we've been to all kinds of cool, fun stuff. 
uh, together that, that has connected us way past business, you know, associates in, in friendship as well in our families. Um, do you have any, any tips or thoughts on how people can make deep connections either inside the business world or just in their own families or friend circles? Yeah, I mean, you know, any commonality of interest is always a great way to really connect with somebody. But, you know, it's just really odd as I look at the people that I, you know, have been drawn to or find attractive. Like it's, it's a joker's wild. I mean, it's everything from, uh, you know, the, the, the head of the Hells Angels chapter in San Bernardino, who I just think is, you know, funny and hilarious. Uh, you know, you got to watch yourself. Uh, to, uh, you know, the, the pastor at, uh, at Mother Cabrini's church, you know, um, when, when somebody kind of, when, when I think somebody has it, and I'm not sure what it is, but it's just a, usually a unique quality, which, uh, um, you know, it just sticks out. Uh, those are the folks that I just, um, uh, you know, you, you, you tend to kind of keep that contact alive. Um, and people that are, are fun to deal with, um, are the folks you're, you're, that I'm usually drawn to, and I mean, not just fun, fun, but, you know, um, you, you have a positive spin on things, and um, most of your conversations and finished products are, you know, done in a positive, profitable, uh, you know, great manner. Who doesn't want to work with somebody that you enjoy? Because uh, you're definitely going to run across enough folks in this world you don't enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that is the truth. I'll, I'll tell you, you've done so many cool things. I want to venture into them, uh, just kind of maybe dip our toe in a little bit uh, before we go on into some of the cool personal things that you do outside of, of business. But in business, you've worked with uh, sports teams. You've worked with the Latino community. You've worked with car dealerships. You've worked with law firm and medical groups. Who, in, in your estimation, is the most interesting group of people of the various industry types, if, if you can categorize that way, like you say, man, the car industry is really different and unique and strange or fun or whatever, because, 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 is there one group that you've just really had either uh, some great stories with or, or that um, really seem to be entertaining as humans compared to the other groups? Yeah, well, without a doubt, um, people in event promotions, I find to be the most interesting because they're definitely the most fearless and they know within 60 minutes whether a lot of effort has come to fruition or not. Once that uh, curtain opens or the turnstiles uh, are unlocked. So over my years, and I, man, I, I can't believe I've been doing this for close to 40 years, um, I just think entrepreneurs, whether it be a nightclub owner or uh, Philip Anschutz from AEG to the owners of the Pepsi Center to the folks that own the Broncos, uh, you're rolling the dice every week that your hunch and your product are going to draw enough people to um, create a profit and have you pay your bills. And, you know, you got you to gotta earn it every single day, every single week. So those people tend to be uh, super adaptive. Uh, have an incredible amount of energy and propensity for risk, uh, but also a really sharp profit motive. So I, I find dealing with them really stimulating. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, I got, I got to know, the, when, when you have dealt with, and you don't have to name the industry or the person, 
what are some of the crazy stories um, that, that you could share with us about dealing with an industry? Like I know when you were in the radio industry, for example, that some of the crazy uh, rock stars or whatever would come into town and you guys would have to go entertain them and all that kind of stuff. Is there any story or stories that really stick out that were just absolutely entertaining or, or humorous to you that people might be able to get a, a kick from? Well, yeah, you know, there were so many uh, in the 80s and 90s when, no kidding, the radio industry was really, uh, you know, at, at the high, high water mark. Um, you know, the stations that I worked at and eventually ran in Southern California, it, it would not be a, an odd day whatsoever to see the Rolling Stones heading into the Rock studio for an interview and, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Joe Montana heading into the Sports Talk studio uh, for an interview because the stations were so powerful and a lot of celebrities, you know, wanted that voice. Um, it's interesting. And I mean, when you do it, year in and year out for 20, 30 years, there are two types of people I've noticed. One type of person really likes being close to celebrity and somehow finds a certain value and utility. And, um, you know, pardon my language, I discovered long ago, nobody gave a shit about the sales manager at the station. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you just got to know your lot in life. Um, you know, they, the celebrities are there to propagate their brand and that comes with the guy with a microphone. So like it, I always kind of took the stance that the, uh, how the employees at the Ritz Carlton are trained. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Ritz Carlton, but everybody's really nice. They kind of don't look you in the eye all that much when they greet you and say hi and just kind of curtsy off to the side. And if you need anything, you can let them know and they're the greatest, but you know, nobody is too obtrusive. So interestingly enough, over all the years and all the people I've ever met in my entire life, um, I've never introduced myself and really never tried to be in part of that because, you know, I, I, know, I know my lot in life. And I always kind of thought it was a bit ridiculous that, um, you know, people who are behind the scenes would try to equate themselves with athletic or artistic greatness when, let's face it, we're, you know, we're not. But I can tell you a funny story. The one time I violated my rule, uh, I wasn't even at a station. Um, I was at the X Games when it was in, uh, first starting in Aspen, and actually a good friend of mine, Pat Follett, was running it. And I mean, he was running the whole thing. He got there three months early, built everything, took it apart, was running the cats, um, was making the half pipe. I mean, he was the um, operational uh, president of X Games. So when he would invite us to come up uh, during the actual event, we were like super uh, VIP with Pat. Um, and he was enjoying the efforts of his fruit because when the events were going on, his work was done and he didn't have to work again until it was time to shut down. But, you know, he was clearly the man and we were dear friends. Well, uh, I was enjoying the afternoon and Coolio was the talent. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's a, a, a rapper from Compton and in the 90s and 80s. He really had a lot of hits going on, but he's a pretty eccentric guy. And we were all in the VIP backstage area. And again, I never, ever, ever make it a habit to try to talk to any of these um, celebrities because, you know, I'm not one. But I was feeling good. And I walked up to Coolio and I said, Coolio, I really enjoy your music. And he looked at me, a 40-year-old guy with freckles, and said, really loud, 
man, is my career gone in the shitter when I got some honky with freckles telling me he likes my music. <laughs> he looked at me and goes, where are you from? I said, Wisconsin. He said, better yet. I got a guy from Wisconsin telling me he likes my music. He goes, man, I better just hang it up. And I walked <laughs> away. And my friends howled. So the one time I tried to be cool, uh, Julio did it as a market analysis and decided that middle-aged guys holding a can of cores shouldn't be talking to him. And I guess he's kind of right, though, because uh, here I probably wouldn't be the coolest uh, guy to say, yeah, I love your music, but he really lit me up. <laughs> and my friends just, I mean, they were, you know, uh, peeing their pants. They were laughing so hard. Well, the one time I try to get cute and talk to somebody famous, uh, I get slammed down pretty good. It was pretty funny. That's a great story. That is a great story. I'll tell you, um, I want to dive into some of the fun things that you do because I think you, you're you such an eclectic and well-balanced uh, human and individual that I think people could enjoy and learn some stuff from some of your, your hobbies and the things that you're into. First, music. I've gone to watch you play with your band and, and you're a great percussionist. Tell, tell us a little bit about your interest in music. Why, why percussion? Um, and, and if someone wants to, to take that up as, you know, a serious hobby or even a profession, if you had any thoughts for them. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> learn to golf. No, just kidding. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I grew up in Western Wisconsin and my dad owned a retail sporting goods store, but he was a New Yorker. And I mean, a hardcore New Yorker. And my mom was from Scotland and she was the daughter of a Scottish golf pro. So I guess, you know, in Wisconsin metrics, I had some pretty interesting parents. Um, when we weren't listening to Andy Williams or in Wisconsin, a lot of people listen to polka. My dad grew up uh, in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, even though he was one of the few Irish families. And everything we grew up listening to was Xavier Cougar, uh, Ricky Ricardo, who had a, a big Latin band, um, Arturo Sandoval, Eddie Pulmonary. You know, I was listening to salsa and, you know, complicated African rhythms my entire life. So I had a, an inordinate interest in Latin percussion at a very young age. And then in the 70s, when Santana took off, I mean, that was it. And uh, I had taken some drum lessons, but the uh, conga, bongo, timbali, um, all the Latin rhythms really, really captured me. So um, really, most of my life, uh, I have played percussion in bands starting in high school and all through college and professionally. And I just uh, I find it really stimulating. Uh, you know, when I go to a concert and I see a band, I lock in and watch a percussionist for two and a half hours. I mean, the lead singer won't even get five minutes of my attention. So after doing it for quite a while, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm not too bad. And uh, I'm involved in three projects right now. We practice weekly. In fact, I got a host, 10 guys tonight. Uh, and we're keeping an eye on the weather, whether it's a patio with, you know, trying to be uh, socially separating or we're just going to open the garage up and, uh, you know, lay everybody out. But I'm in the jazz ensemble that meets on Mondays. Um, I'm on a, a classic rock cover band um, called the Recyclers that uh, we usually practice on Wednesdays. And then we've got a two-man ensemble. It's kind of microbrewery, pub-designed, uh, called Groove Road Ahead, which is me playing the part of a more traditional drummer um, with a uh, regular type of acoustic hits. Tonight's an interesting night, though, because our drummer is unable to come, and he's going to be camping for a July 4th gig. So on a very rare attempt, I'm going to try to hold the fort down with both Latin and traditional 
um, percussion, which quite frankly is a little contrary to uh, somebody that's a trained Latin percussionist, but I'm also anxious for the challenge and we'll see how it works out tonight. If I suck, these seven guys will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Rob. And so when you were, when you were um, finding that music, that is so cool because you grow up with it, you're hearing it, and, and it just attaches to you. As, as you have now have kids of your own, two beautiful, amazing, wonderful daughters, um, were they, were they ever following it into the music style, um, that you were like, or, or, you know, was that kind of your thing and, and, you know, they didn't, they didn't just really fall down that, that path with you. Yeah. Well, you know, we gave everybody chances and, uh, uh, the oldest daughter, Erin learned to read music quickly and play the piano. Uh, you know, she was more of a mechanical player though. And, you know, neither of the kids kind of inherited my groove. Um, it is really interesting, though, that Shayla, my youngest daughter, is really into uh, rap and club music and, you know, what the younger generation is. And so she has taken me through artist by artist, and I'm kind of deciding which rap artists I like. And there's some stuff I really like and some stuff I don't like. So it's kind of interesting. Last week when I was in Arizona, and I'm sure the neighbors uh, got their uh, ear, ear, earbuds blown out, uh, we we came back from our, uh, our our dinner and a night in the clubs and uh, had a pretty good uh, rap music 101 session. And I decided I really like Mac Miller. Uh, he's the guy that unfortunately OD'd uh, and a, a Caucasian rapper from Pittsburgh. But uh, man, I really like his sound. So, but nobody, none, none, none of the none of the none of the family members picked up the interest uh, of, of playing at all. Well, that's a shame, but at least we have you to still, still go watch. I love the, the music that I've seen and heard you play, and it's just so good. Uh, so I hope you keep doing that for decades and decades to come. And, and speaking of that, of what you've done for decades, and I hope you do so much work because you're such an inspiration to me and so many, is your, your interest in fitness overall, but specifically mountain biking. So before we get into the mountain biking, tell me, about your your fitness and, and I know that you overcame a, a really bad injury but you've been a fit guy your whole life kind of changed your your um, your training styles over time but uh, can you share with the audience the part that exercise fitness you know nutrition all that has played with with you as a as a human uh, yeah well, you know it's interesting when we grew up um, the University of Wisconsin had a number of universities that specialized in, in certain things. One was a teacher's college. One was a business college. Um, in Madison, it was a big college of everything. But where I grew up was a very um, athletically oriented area named La Crosse, which is uncharacteristically hilly and has a beautiful part of the Mississippi River in it. And UW La Crosse was originally the Fayette teacher college for the Midwest. So everybody that went there, including my dad, um, was, you know, an athletic trainer or an athlete um, or uh, studying to be a gym teacher. So, you know, they were way ahead of the fitness curve. Um, secondly is that Valley was populated by mostly Norwegians. And we were really an anomaly uh, being an Irish Catholic uh, family with a Scottish mom. I mean, we, people would invite us over to dinner just to hear the accent. Uh, but the Norwegians were really healthy livers. And I mean, these, these folks uh, were temperate drinkers, um, healthy eaters, and robust outdoorsmen. And, you know, to see 90 years in, old in Wisconsin, you know, at a time when life expectancies weren't that high, 
in our valley was not uncommon. So, you know, I grew up in a really robust, uh, outdoorsy, athletic environment. Uh, so, you know, it was not a fitness boom that happened. You know, it was just how that city was. I mean, it was kind of like Boulder of the Midwest way before. So, you know, we grew up extremely active, you know, playing every kind of sport imaginable. Believe it or not, skiing is really popular there, and there's a 1,000 vertical feet carved by the Mississippi River Ice Age, so there is good skiing. Um, everybody starts water skiing when they're three or four years old in that city. You know, it's just an amazing sports town. And then you throw in your introduction traditional sports of, you know, football, basketball, baseball. I mean, it was 10 hours a day when we were kids. You know, they'd have to bring us in uh, with a hook to clean us up and make us go to sleep, which I, I find really interesting today. The biggest complaint most parents have is they can't get their kids out to exercise so or true. enjoy nature. Um, you know, really interesting. Um, I suffered a really traumatic industry, uh, injury uh, that derailed, I thought, was a pretty good football career, um, in which I had at one time a meniscus removal, a patella realignment, a ACL blow, um, and um, uh, 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 cracking the tip um, of my uh, tibia as well. And it was just a, a really big con reconstruction in that day and age uh, for somebody that was, you know, almost not quite done growing. So, um, you know, that's when they put your leg in a cast for a year. And then you had a long, long, long rehab period. So it really kind of defined me for a long time. I mean, when I was in college, I was definitely the guy on crutches, you know, for years. And then because I had to rehab my knee and I knew that was the only way to get back into a, have an active lifestyle and I had access to the, you know, state-of-the-art uh, rehab facilities in these colleges, um, you know, I always found my way into the weight room. And I realized, uh, you know, I could never run and play basketball and play volleyball again. It was going to be too antagonistic to this, you know, unbelievably reconstructed joint. So then I started riding the bike at a very, very young age when really cycling wasn't all that popular. But interestingly enough, in lacrosse, there were bike racers of note who had gone on to race professionally. And there were, you know, there was a cycling community of people that rode high-end bikes. So although I wasn't part of it, they were certainly on the radar and the topography there is so great. Um, it is a cycling Mecca. So at a very young age, uh, you know, I had the most important thing I had in the world taken away from me, which was football and team sports. And, you know, you just really had to, I guess, pivot and find something else. And what I found was music and cycling which I guess I probably wouldn't be playing much organized football today, but I got band practice in two hours and I already rode my bike this after, uh, this morning. So kind of interesting. Sometimes when you get lemonade, you can turn it into, uh, uh, when you get lemons, you can turn it into lemonade. And quite frankly, if I hadn't had such a substantial knee injury, I doubt I'd be the dedicated bike racer I am today, or maybe the accomplished musician I hope I am. Because uh, that, that just gave me a huge timeout in, you know, the regular windmill of high school sports. And I all of a sudden had a cast on my leg from my toes to the tip of my hips. And it gave me time to learn how to play the drums and then uh, slowly but surely uh, ride a bike to rebuild the leg. Wow. You know, that's interesting because you and I haven't even talked in depth about that in all the times we've been together. And, and the beauty of what I just heard from you, Rob, is that when we're we never know what's going to happen, but if we keep our eyes open, 
no matter what happens, that we can find our way to the best future for us, all things considered. And because you were willing, you, you didn't get really, you know, torn up to the fact that you couldn't do the sports that you were doing anymore. You literally sat back, ascertained the situation, said, what else can I do? And then you took advantage of that. And now it's made you a really accomplished um, person, both musically and athletically in bike racing. And that's where I want to go for the next couple of minutes is bike racing. You, you mentioned that you rode your bike today. And, and I, I know for sure that most people listening on this podcast, they will not have a sense of what a bike ride means for you. Like for most of us, a bike ride, you know, I'll take my mountain bike out and, and go out for about an hour and I'm good. Uh, you are training for a race currently. You've been sponsored and, and racing for many years, decades at this point. You've got a race coming up that, that I want you to talk about that, that's offshore. Uh, but I, I, do would, I would love for you to, to tell people what about biking is so special for you, how deep you are into it, and, and just give some of, if people aren't bikers or if they are, that they can really connect to. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, once you catch the bug or once you, you, you love the sport, I mean, it, it's all you want to do. And um, it's free. There's no lift ticket. Uh, if you can go uphill real quick here in the foothills, and if we don't want to go uphill, uh, there's uh, still plenty of flat riding. So there's probably no greater place in the, in the, in the world to ride than in Colorado. Also, you have you know, such high cognizance and um, respect from motorists and everybody you know you ride your bike in phoenix people aren't very nice uh they sure are here so you know i just found with the the knee injury um running and a lot of the other things were just impossible i mean the the joint has been severely reconstructed but man the second i got on that bike it was like i could fly so you know that type of feeling of terrestrial freedom that i could no longer get put in one foot in front of another and you know you jim you played football i mean i still have dreams about you know games and making big hits and you know you got to find something to replace that because uh you know that game is just uh intoxicating and yeah. you know it, it's the best if, if, if that's if you were raised playing it so i needed something to you know replace that and also you know i just had some really great medical advice at a very young age that uh, a very good doctor looked at me and said hey you got skinny knees even if you would go to college you're going to blow your knees out you're a strong kid but you got knees an elbow is like a girl. You're never going to have a long athletic um, uh, career in football. And I know this kind of seems cruel and, and, and hard right now, but, you know, you, this, this is nothing in your big scheme of things. You want to be skiing and you want to be active when you're younger. You start taking care of that knee now, you'll accomplish that. You know, if you're stupid and you rush out and try to be a football player again, you know, you're going to be that guy limping and that's going to be a bad life for you. I remember having a really hard talk with this guy who wasn't my dad, but, you know, he explained to me that things were changing, but um, I had to decide whether I wanted to have a bit of a long view or if I wanted to get sucked into trying to come back, you know, with a giant brace and being a football player. He really talked me out of it on a couple of ways and reasons and also said, you know, you're just not designed for it. Mm. You know, the guys that are designed for it have like thick little digits and fat little knees that don't break you know you have knees like a woman soccer player and that's those are the exact words and uh, i understood that though you know yeah. and uh, yeah. you know uh, it's amazing it's funny whenever i get my knee tuned up where i gotta you know have something done the they they marvel at that 1976 operation and the fact uh, that it's still holding 
and how solid it is. So he definitely did a good job, and then I, I have continued to follow his instructions. That's beautiful. Now, with the biking, um, tell, tell us the race that you're currently prepared for. What's your average training day? Uh, what, are you, what are you typically doing, and what's this race look like that's, that's coming up? Yeah, well, and interesting enough, I'm really not a very successful racer. I'm kind of that golfer that like golfs all time and has the best stuff, but still has like an eight handicap and ends up having to pay everybody at the end of the league uh, and at the end of the day because I'm I'm still a little big to be a cyclist. I'm I'm you know finally dropped a lot of weight. I'm down to you know 180 from 220, and um, you know uh, it, it's not the most natural sport for me, but I love it. Um, so I just turned 60, and now uh, the fields are starting to thin down a little bit through injury or hate to say it, death, uh, or just, you know, enough's enough. So the race, well, I was hoping to have a very active racing season and almost race every single week, um, you know, one way or another around the state and the West. And that just keeps you fit and lean. And the more starts you get, the more you're used to overcoming the first 20 minutes and settling in and your body just gets used to it. Um, that's certainly not the case this year. So my end race this year is called the Ruta de la Conquistadores. It's a race across Costa Rica. It took the Conquistadores 27 years to complete this. We do it in three days. Um, Wattage-wise, it's equal to three Ironmans. So sometimes you hear somebody say they did an Ironman and it took them two weeks to recover. Uh, you got to go the next day, four in the morning after an Ironman. Then you got to do that two more times. So it's a race of attrition. And um, only about half the folks that start finish because of mechanicals and heat and just overall exhaustion. But I've done it four times and I finished three times and it kind of suits me. Uh, and I like it and I've been thinking about it a lot. So this is the year to do it because I'm just, you know, getting into that 60 category. Yeah, I got just beat up last year at 59 by a bunch of 50 year olds. Categories are every 10 years. So if you're 59, you're racing with, you know, somebody that's nine years younger. A lot right. of physical wear and tears happened in nine years. This year at 60, um, I was hoping to come in strong. Now, huh, here's the problem. Uh, I bought my airfare at a very good price, as you might imagine. But now there's a lot of speculation that this pandemic is going to resurface and it's going to cause a lot of problems in Latin America. So I'm, I'm at a quandary whether to send that entry money into a Costa Rican promoter knowing quite frankly i won't get a refund and if the race isn't on i'll have a place for next year but there are a lot of variables so i'm sitting and watching i'm still training as if you know we got to be doing that and that you know that includes you know three to four hours a day of hard training um some rest days but at least at least three hours a day of training um but now i'm watching this and you know i'm kind of okay with the fact that if it does pop up, maybe this year is not the year. And I wasn't thinking that way two weeks ago. But as you know, man, everything's changing so quickly. So quickly, Rob. And, and I'll tell you, we're all going to keep our fingers crossed so that you can get that race in because I know that you'll you'll do very well. I, I spend enough time with you that I know the commitment and level of training that you've put in and uh, just so, so want you to be able to, to, to fulfill that mission of yours. And and so as, and I know you have a, an event coming up with, with band members coming up here in a couple hours, so I don't want to keep you too long. But I, as we wind this down, I would like to ask you a few popcorn type questions that you can share with our audience to give us a little bit more information about you and, and kind of 
what drives you. So here's the first one. What is, or who is your favorite band of all times? Because you're such a music guy. Uh, and what is it about them that makes you just just love them so that people may want to go check them out? Uh, well, it's Santana. And I've seen him a hundred times. Um, when I was 14, I took a bus to Madison, Wisconsin, and went by myself to Dane County Coliseum, the big venue there, and, and saw them for the first time. Um, you know, as somebody who had a basic understanding of Latin music and the rhythms, um, what Carlos Santana did in the 70s uh, by taking the Afro-Cuban beat and melding it into, you know, a really appetizing rock with his guitar, uh, to this day, uh, I can't get enough Santana. <laughs> Love it. And I'm a huge Santana fan as well. Great, great answer there. What about uh, books? You are an avid reader. I know how much you read. You, you knock out it. First, tell everyone how much you read. And then what is your favorite either genre or author or subject of things that you like to read? Uh, I try to read a book a week. And I only read history and autobiographies and biographies. Um, I will read a little fiction if it's like a missioner and there's a historical context and um, point woven in. So, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a history fanatic. I'm reading about the conquest of the Congo right now and King Leopold of Belgium. And, you know, just what a unbelievable manipulative individual he was my favorite author for sure is james mishner um i've read his collection and uh you know he's just his attention to detail and his historical accuracy is incredible uh while he weaves a you know unbelievably poignant story uh into the whole thing and you end up being a lot smarter 700 pages later and you know that's what i'm looking for i love it and here's my final one what is the, the best or most significant piece of advice you've ever been given? Or if you could give one piece of advice that has made the biggest difference for you to people who might be listening, what would that be? Well, you know, the funniest, uh, funniest answer I've ever heard to that question was uh, Bill Murray's answer. It was, I don't know, I probably ignored it. <laughs> <laughs> which i hate to say it uh that's probably my best answer too uh you know you know, uh, a saying that I, I actually took off a jazz record by a guy named ben sidron when i was eight years uh when i was in eighth grade kind of made sense to me and it's uh be nice to the people on the way up you're going to see them on the way back down I think if you can remember that, things will be okay. I love that. Well, Rob, this has been such a great conversation, man. I've enjoyed it as I always enjoy our time together. I hope it gave you a chance to, to get some of your thoughts and feelings out to people who are looking for something right now to uh, either do with free time or to be inspired by. Uh, you know, this is an interesting time we live in this COVID time. And, and for me, I, I just see a lot of gems in there that you were able to share. So again, thank you for taking time out. And I appreciate you so much. And uh, I certainly can't wait for us to get together again. Hey, likewise, Jim. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor. All right, buddy. You take care and I'll talk to you soon. All right, cheers. Thank you.